Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's this book called the Bible. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's pretty popular. Um, Let's talk about it. The Bible is considered sacred to billions of people around the world, and it is arguably the most well-known piece of literature in history. But as you probably know, there is a lot of different versions of it. Now, the Hebrew Bible is what is perhaps most universally accepted. It is what's known to Christians as the Old Testament and to Jews, or in Hebrew, as the Tanakh. Um, And whereas the New Testament is something added later on by Christians and thus only accepted by Christians, the Old Testament is considered sacred scripture by both Jews and Christians, and the stories that's contained in them um, also serves as the basis of much of Islam as well. Contrary to what many may believe, the Hebrew Bible is not actually one unified book, but actually a collection of many different books, including the five books of Moses, or the Torah, um, and the prophetic books like Kings and Samuel and Isaiah and Hosea and Habakkuk and all these, as well as the Ketuvim, or writings. While all of these are considered sacred, the most important or exalted of them all is probably the Torah, also known as the five books of Moses. And these books include Genesis, 
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the stories contained therein from the very creation and beginning of the universe and the world and of Adam and Eve, all to Noah and the ark and Abraham and his family, to Moses bringing his people out of Egypt and receiving the commandments on Mount Sinai, and then the nation of Israel walking the deserts. Uh, for 40 years and then eventually uh, all the way up to the very death of Moses himself and his last speech to the people. It's a story that most of us have heard and that one that serves as the very basis of the Abrahamic religions. But who wrote the Torah? And when was it authored? This is a very difficult question to answer, and for a number of reasons. Now, according to Jewish tradition, or Abrahamic tradition generally, the Torah was received, or re revealed, to Moses by God on Mount Sinai, and then written down by him. Um, but now, from a historical point of view, there's no way to know for sure that this is true. We don't even actually know if Moses existed at all, um, since we have no real evidence of his existence outside of the Bible itself. However, most biblical scholars today agree that the Torah was not probably written by one person, in this case Moses, but instead written in fragments by a lot of different people over a long period of time. The history of the people of Israel is very uncertain and we have very little information about its origins, but there seems to have been this kind of unified kingdom uh, with its base in Jerusalem um, around the sort of 10th or 9th century BCE that was ruled by a house of David. We have actual historical evidence to support this claim, which, which seems to indicate that at least parts of the stories of the Bible are based in some kind of historical truth. It is likely that a unified kingdom, and thus a stronger state administration and cultural development, led to a larger production of texts and a scribal elite centered around the temple. Scholars like Matthew Richel and Erhard Blum have examined this period and argues that we can see a clear break in terms of textual development around the 8th century BCE. It is thus highly likely that the first fragments or parts of the written Hebrew Bible was composed at around this time. Now at the same time, it should be remembered that just because the stories were written down at this point, that doesn't mean that they didn't exist before. Many of the stories contained in the Torah probably circulated as oral traditions long before they were ever written down. But again, going back to the original question, who wrote it and how did it assume its current form? To answer the first question, we simply don't know. Uh, but there are a lot of theories about the chronology of events. A very popular theory in the 20th century, and still today even if it is contested by some, is something known as the documentary hypothesis that was proposed by a German scholar Julius Wellhausen. In this theory, it is argued that the Torah was composed by four main sources over a period of hundreds of years. The earliest of these is known as the J source, or Yahwist source. The J stands for Yahweh, or the misunderstood pronunciation Jehovah, which was prominent at the time, uh, and this is a personal name for God. Uh, Yahweh, that is. Uh, and the text of the J source is characterized, among other things, by the use of this name for God. Now, the date for this text is uncertain, some placing it during the time of the state of David or his descendants, around the 9th to 8th century BCE. 
The second is known as the E-source, named after another of God's names, Elohim, and is again characterized by a preference for this name for God. Uh, this source is likely written after the J-source, and the two were later combined, with J serving as the main part of the text. Thirdly, there is the Deuteronomist source, which scholars think is responsible for basically the entire book of Deuteronomy, as well as some of the books outside the Torah, like Samuel and Kings. This source is characterized by things like absolute morality and a lot of laws uh, and things like that. And lastly, there is the P source, or priestly source, written by priests, and, and this, sort of logically, is characterized by a focus on purity, issues of purity, and rituals, a lot of rituals. As mentioned, the J and E source probably originates in the time of the first temple in Jerusalem, and their contents thus also reflect this environment in this period. Both the D and the P source, however, are much later developments, uh, probably from the time of the uh, exile in Babylon in the 6th and I think 5th centuries, uh, when the people were forced, the people of Israel were forced out of their homeland, uh, the temple, that is the house of God, was destroyed, and in exile they were forced to sort of forge this new identity. And so these two texts also very much reflect that kind of environment, this new uh, kind of thinking. The exile period is incredibly important for the development of Judaism as we know it. It is here that things like personal prayer and many of the rituals that we associate with Judaism comes about, as a result of the drastic change in environment and by living as a minority group. It is likely that important theological changes were made at this time as well. Much archaeological findings show that in the land of Israel and Judah there were many other gods and idols that were worshipped alongside Yahweh. This has led some historians to argue that the Israelite religion pre-exile wasn't monotheistic in the regular sense of the word, but that they practiced monolatry or a kind of henotheism, that is, the acceptance and belief in many different gods but worshipping only one, or considering one to be more exalted than the others. It is thus interesting to see how Judaism seems to evolve gradually from a religion much more similar to those of the other empires at the time that were mostly polytheistic to eventually become something very different, first through a kind of henotheism and then the, during the Babylonian exile especially there is this shift, it seems at least, to a very much more pure monotheism that would then characterize Judaism going forward. From the time after the Babylonian exile, there is no longer any trace of monotheism in this culture, um, which seems to imply that something very important happened here. There was a very important shift. Now, the Bible itself states that Judaism was always monotheistic and that the people over different periods of time sort of turned away from the true religion, and they thus explain it that way. Whether you believe this version of the story or that of historians, they both seem to agree that the move to a more pure monotheism was the result of a very traumatic experience of exile and the destruction of the temple. So the D, and particularly the priestly source, uh, probably stems from this period, um, when certain theological uh, ideas and developments within the religion had taken place. And this is also, as I said, reflected in the text. There's also probably around this time that the different fragments and sources were, were gathered together into one text, or a collection of, of texts, so to speak. 
Something that is very interesting is that this supposed shift in authors and time periods can sometimes be clearly seen in the text of the Torah itself. One of the best examples, in my opinion, is in the very opening chapters of Genesis, which describes the creation of the world and the story of Adam and Eve. Scholars believe that Genesis 1, that is the first chapter, stems from the priestly source, and thus a later development, and that most of Genesis 2, the second chapter, comes from the J source, which is much earlier. So let's compare them for a second. If you read Genesis 1, it describes how God creates the world in six days and then rests on the seventh. It describes how he creates animals and later humans, and it's, it's all very poetic. But then you move on to the second chapter, and the second chapter opens with this. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. And wait a second, the story seems to start again from the beginning. And the rest of the chapter seems to give a second version of events that sometimes even contradict the first. To begin with, there is a sharp difference between what name is used to refer to God. In the first chapter, God is called exclusively by the name Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God. But suddenly in the second chapter, he is consistently referred to by his other name, Yahweh, or more specifically their combined name, Yahweh Elohim. According to scholars, this is a clear break between the priestly source and the J source. The nature of God also differs somewhat. In the first chapter, God is very much transcendent and he creates the world by his word. He also creates the animals and then he creates man. And as for the genders, it says the following. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. However, in the second chapter, God is a lot more human and described in anthropomorphic ways. For example, he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. He's also described as walking around in the garden and when the humans hide, he exclaims, where are you? Indicating he's not all seeing. In this version, also God creates man first and then only after he creates the animals. And rather than creating man and female at the same time, Eve is created from the rib of Adam to be of service to him. Clearly then, here we have a very well, clear indication of the documentary hypothesis at work. It seems clear to scholars that these different aspects of the texts were different or written by different people uh, at different periods, uh, and thus they reflect the different uh, periods in which they were written. The priestly source emphasizes a more transcendent God, something that was more important in later developments, and also describes things like resting on the seventh day, which is likely a reflection of the ritual of the Sabbath that had developed at that time. Things like this can be found all over the Torah, especially the first four books, uh, with very clear stylistic language differences, word uses, and even sometimes contradictory versions of the same story. From the 6th century onwards, these texts became more and more viewed as a single whole and parts outside the Torah itself was added to the canon as well. It should be remembered that the documentary hypothesis is not in any way universally accepted by all scholars of the Hebrew Bible. Many other theories have appeared over the years, especially in the last few decades, 
Um, but what all of them seem to agree on is the idea that the Hebrew Bible was written, or the Torah, I should say, was written by many different hands and over uh, a time period of many centuries, um, then developing and evolving and changing according to the new kind of ideas and theological developments that were taking place in the Israelite religion. In any case, it was and remains an incredibly interesting and important text and serves as the basis for some of the largest religions in the world. And whether or not these critical historical theories are true, or whether or not the events recounted in the Bible actually happened or not, is not the important part. Not to scholars of religion, nor to most of the people following these religions either. It's always been about what these stories teach, what the emotions they convey, and the symbolic value that they have for the religious identities of billions of people around the world. The historical or non-historical person of Moses is only secondary, really. It is the very story of Moses and the role that he plays in the religious history and the religious mythology that matters most to Jewish Christians and Muslims in the world, both historically and today. I'll probably leave some links to articles and such things in the description. I'll see you next time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.